Hello. Before we jump into the show, we need to shout out our awesome new sponsor, Marquee TV. Man, I was so excited when we got the news about the sponsor. You all might remember from a few weeks ago that I talked about my new Shakespeare project where I'm learning everything I can about Macbeth. It felt like we said the name Shakespeare out loud and the marquee people appeared and said, (laughs) we gotcha. It really did. Yeah. In case you're not familiar, Marquee TV is a streaming service. They have theater, ballet, opera, documentaries. There's a bunch of behind the scenes content of productions. Basically, it's a fun way to nerd out about the arts. Yeah, it's a streaming service that will take you to the best theaters in the world from the comfort of your own sofa. I've already added so many things to our watch list. Did you know there's a ballet based on the works of Beatrix Potter? I did. They've got a little preview video of somebody dancing around in a rabbit costume. Peter Rabbit doing ballet. (laughs) I also added a few hip-hop dance shows just to balance out the dancing bunnies. Yeah, (laughs) hip-hopra. That's what they call it. They do. It's so fun. Mozart's Requiem from the London Philharmonic Orchestra and a bunch of Shakespeare plays, including Richard II starring my pretend best friend, David Tennant. And Judy Dench talking about her long relationship with Shakespeare in a master class. Yeah, I love Judy Dench. Sure. But David Tennant. Yeah, that's quite a battle there. Okay. There's a special deal for our listeners. Marquee TV is offering three months of their service for 99 cents. You get three months of all of this good stuff for 99 cents yeah. with the code SSOP. That cost seems absurdly low to me. Like first, I expected it to be much higher given the quality of the content, but also 99 cents. You, you can't park next to a theater for 99 cents. Accurate. Also, if you watch Marquee TV, you get to see these shows maybe wearing your pajamas and hanging out with your cat yeah. or your dog. Yeah. It's a good way to sort of indulge your own curiosity. You can see all the performances of Hamlet or maybe the first 15 minutes of all of the performances of Hamlet, and you don't have to rope your friends and family into all of that. Or you could watch Richard II over and over and over and over. <laughs> What's the best angle for David Tennant in Richard II? Trick question. All of them. <laughs> anyway, You definitely need to explore the website because there is a ton of really fun, fascinating, engaging stuff on there. I went in specifically looking for Shakespeare and I found a ton of other things I wanted to watch. Yeah. You can keep up with what they're doing on social media at Marquee Arts TV. You can visit their website at marquee.tv. That's marquee.tv to get three months of their service for just 99 cents with the promo code SSOP. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. And now the show. Coming up, a modern classic that I somehow missed. A book that's a marriage of science and memoir. Plus our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. This week, an article in the Washington Post recommended two books by Kirsten Backus. And now all I can think about is sitting in my reading nook under a blanket with endless cups of tea and getting lost in these stories. What's so magical about Kirsten Backus? I'm just going to read you the beginning of the Washington Post piece. Okay. And then I think you'll feel me. All right. If you were a bookish teenager in the late 1990s, the odds are good that Lives of the Monster Dogs, Kirsten Backus's first novel, 
arrived in your life like a spirit visitation. I remember it staring out at me from the fiction shelves at a Seattle bookstore not long after it was published in 1997, cover forward among a thicket of variegated spines. And what a cover it was, a faded photograph of a dignified Malamute standing on his hind legs, his body sheathed in an antiquated silk smoking jacket, cravat at the collar, one paw balanced rakishly on a cane. Staring into his eyes, you couldn't not pick it up. Picking it up, you couldn't not read it. Reading it, you never forgot it. Wow. Right? I mean, (laughs) how do I not know about this book? This life-changing book. So here's the setup. Okay. In the 19th century, a Prussian scientist set out to create a race of perfect canine soldiers for the Kaiser. He transformed Rottweilers, Dobermans, German Shepherds, and other majestic breeds into talking, well-mannered, impeccably dressed gentle dogs. I'd like to go to a party of impeccably dressed gentle dogs. Right? Yeah. For a hundred years, these dapper dogs lived in a remote Canadian settlement, living their lives. Yep. But in 2008, they were forced to relocate to New York City, where they became unwitting celebrities. Question, if you were at a party of gentle dogs, would you feel an overwhelming urge to touch their faces and be like, you're such a good boy? (laughs) I mean, probably. (laughs) That could be embarrassing for both of us. (laughs) So now they're in New York. Yep. An NYU student named Cleo Pira becomes their spokesperson and their friend. And of course, eventually, secrets are revealed. Cleo narrates the novel, and it unfolds through diaries, newspaper clippings, articles she writes for Vanity Fair magazine, and part of an opera libretto. Wow. It sounds like a combination of, like, Frankenstein, Dracula, the historian, all of these things I love. Yes, it does. When it came out 27 years ago, it was the author's debut novel. It was named a New York Times Notable Book of the Year. They called it Fiercely Original and a Dazzling, Unforgettable Meditation on What It Means to Be Human. It went on to win the Bram Stoker Award for Best First Novel. Okay. And then the author, Kirsten Backus, just disappeared from the publishing world. So she sounds a little bit like a Wes Anderson character. (laughs) Yeah. Comes out, writes a genius book, gets praised by everybody, disappears into her mansion life for the next 27 years. Yeah, not a mansion. Definitely disappeared into her real life. There are some really interesting details in the Washington Post article, and I will link to that in the show notes. But she's back. Oh. She has a new novel out, which is why we're talking about this now. Now, yeah. Her second novel is called King Nix. And from the descriptions and the reviews, it sounds like another cracking exploration of the Gothic. In the book, it's 1918 and Charles Fort, he was a real life researcher. I was not familiar with his name. He devoted his life to investigating unexplained phenomena. And he is working on a book in this book. He's also on the verge of being broke. And just at the moment he needs it, along comes a mysterious, eccentric millionaire who offers up his grand home on a remote island so that Charles can finish his masterwork. Yeah. Best setup ever. Sure. Charles' wife, Anna, reluctantly agrees. And she is soon immersed in a story that includes 
Missing Girls, A Mysterious Figure in the Woods, The Spanish Flu, Life-Sized Automaton Dolls, and Creeping Dread That Things Are Not What They Should Be. A review said, it's almost impossible to put down once you've started it. That's Lives of the Monster Dogs and King Nicks by Kirsten Backus, and they're both waiting for you and for me to read them right now. Nell Greenfield Boyce is a science reporter for NPR. She's had that gig for the last 30 years almost. She does a bang-up job explaining topics in biology and physics and all the rest to people who usually pay little attention to science. And in that position, she's had access to some of the great scientific minds and labs of our time. It's sort of a fascinating life to me, running between people saying smart things and the radio to try and explain those things. She has written a book. It's called Transient and Strange, Notes on the Science of Life. And if you saw that book on a shelf, you might think, eh, pop science essays. Sure. And you'd be right. The book has some excellent essays explaining black holes and tornadoes and paleolithic cave drawings and all that. But you'd only be partially right. The plot thickens. (laughs) The book is also a memoir. It's a science-oriented woman telling her own coming-of-age story. So, for instance, Greenfield Boyce talks about tornadoes. But she talks about it partially through the experience of her precocious science-loving children. There's a bit in the book where she's explaining with some glee how powerful and genuinely intense tornadoes are to her maybe four-year-old son, (laughs) only to realize about halfway in that she is also terrifying him. Oh, no! How do you back out of that moment, yeah. right? And how do you tell a child that tornadoes are monstrous winds that can level a town, but that we don't need to be scared of them all the time? Yeah, that's a fine line, isn't it? Right? And how do you be true to science and comforting at the same time? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And there are other bits when science resonates with her life, like when she's lying in bed with her soon-to-be husband and wondering if courtship is a eugenics experiment. (laughs) It kind of is. Or when she's talking about her adolescence and the parallels and the emerging science of black holes. This is a very relatable and well-written memoir with a lot of science in it. It just came out in January. It's called Transient and Strange, Notes on the Science of Life by Nell Greenfield Boyce. And now our distraction of the week. I've started a Shakespeare project. Yeah. How I got here is a little bit of a ride, but there are fun things to watch, read, and listen to along the way, so I thought that I would share. A few months ago, we watched the TV series Good Omens. I had not read the book, and I didn't know much about it except that it was written by Neil Gaiman and the internet seemed to love it. It's funny because I was sort of the one who was pushing to watch it. We should watch this thing because it's... And I was very like shoulder shrug, sure, whatever. Yeah, it was deep in the geek culture that I'm more in than you are. Yeah. And then we watched it and I was like, oh, that was good. And you were like, I need to know everything now. (laughs) I'm a little obsessed. (laughs) I'm a little obsessed because it's funny and thought-provoking and surprising and suspenseful and then... Deeply romantic. Yeah. It got me right in the feels. Yeah. That romantic part kind of, it's a little bit of a hook. It comes out of nowhere and just smacks you inside the head. 100%. Yeah. And because it's so romantic, I developed TV crushes on all of the actors, but most especially on Michael Sheen and David Tennant. Yep. 
who play an angel and a demon whose relationship stretches through all time. Pause and recognize how romantic that is. (laughs) Yeah. And because there is no rabbit hole, I won't go down when I'm curious. I dove deep into their IMD pages for both of the actors, and we'll probably get to Michael Sheen at some point, but today it is David Tennant's turn. Okay. He's probably best known as the 10th and 14th Doctor in Doctor Who. Another nerddom that I was not familiar with, but I'm now deeply involved in. Yeah, and he played um, Zebediah Kilgrave in the Jessica Jones series, which is a corner of nerddom that I wouldn't expect to find you in, but also really amazing in that. Like, yeah, I've truly heard terrifying. that he is just the best villain. Yeah. David Tennant also has a very distinguished stage career. I've seen the phrase, best Shakespearean actor of his generation, thrown around. Right which is how we get to Shakespeare. Every time I say the name Shakespeare out loud, I have to sing that line from the musical Something Rotten. (laughs) Oh, God, I hate Shakespeare. That's right, I said it. No, I do. I hate Shakespeare. I just don't get it how I'm... I do not, in fact, hate Shakespeare. But I don't have much of a relationship to Shakespeare either. Yeah. Thanks to high school English class, I know Iago is the villain in Othello which routinely comes up in Jeopardy for some reason. Yeah, yeah. All of the Shakespeare knowledge is sort of tapped on by by Jeopardy. Poor Caesar and his et tu brute when he's getting stabbed. Yep. And one of my favorites, the witches that open Macbeth. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. But like, that's it, right? I have like this passing knowledge and I know Shakespeare gave us a bunch of phrases and words that we use regularly. One of the things that I always come back to is how awesome an English teacher you would need to be to get Shakespeare over to a bunch of 14-year-olds. Yeah. Like, you would need to be amazing to do that. (laughs) And yet, somehow, it's still on every high school reading list. Yeah. Around the time we finished watching Good Omens, I learned that David Tennant was starring in a production of Macbeth in London at a theater called the Donmar which has only 250 seats. Yeah. You can imagine the excitement. (laughs) Then we found out that the show was designed around binaural audio that you listen to on headphones. Yeah. So they walk you into the theater, they give you a pair of headphones, you sit down, you watch the show, and in addition to the show, you're hearing sort of an audio play happening in this deep field, 360 degree thing around you. So the witches come and whisper in your ear. Yes. And the (laughs) birds are singing and there's music. And one of the reviews I read said that it's fantastic for the actors because unlike usually when they have to project, they're just speaking in conversational tones and sometimes they do whisper and you can hear all of it. Right. I was very excited about all of this. Yes. And immediately went to my computer. Yep. Only to find that the tickets had been sold out for like six months. Yeah. Like they... hilarious that I thought I was going to get tickets <laughs> to that show. <laughs> they went on sale and 60 minutes later they were gone the entire run. Yes. Yeah. But Salvation, there's a lottery every day put on by the Dunmar oh, to get tickets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, what's the word for that? Heartbreak? Are you looking for heartbreak? The heartbreak. Devastation? The devastation of the lottery. That was it. (laughs) So every day for weeks at 11 o'clock our time, we would go to our computers and try to get tickets to Macbeth. And every day we failed. Disappointment. But 
a reprieve. David Tennant recently announced they're planning another run of this production in the fall. We are on it. We are on it. Yep. And no one better get in my way to getting tickets to that show. (laughs) Since we couldn't go to London and see Macbeth with David Tennant, we did the next best thing and watched the Royal Shakespeare Company production of Hamlet from 2009 because it stars David Tennant as Hamlet and Sir Patrick Stewart as the ghost of Hamlet's father and Claudius, his uncle. Yeah, I think the reason that you're on a Shakespeare kick is because David Tennant was so good in Hamlet. Like, it's amazing. My biggest issue with Hamlet until recently is that he's just such a drama queen. I just always want to say, ah, get it together, Hamlet. Why are you being so dramatic? (laughs) Yeah. And I did not feel that way with the 2009 production from the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah. And it feels all a bit pretentious to me to have this conversation. (laughs) Or we sound really, really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, here we are. So, but like Tenet's Hamlet is just lively and funny and better than I think any Shakespeare I've ever seen. He really commits to being over the top in some of the scenes, but it works because he's so committed. It doesn't feel like acting. And it made me laugh, which I never expected with Hamlet. Yeah. And at the sad parts, I actually felt sad. I did not think, oh, this is sad. Yeah. I felt it. Yeah. One of my sort of ongoing problems with Shakespeare, I guess, is that even when it's good, it sort of hits me in the head and not in the heart so much. It's, you know, you hear a line and you're like, oh, that's clever. (laughs) That's a nice way of putting that. You don't feel the weight of the world. You don't feel the decisions that the characters are making. You don't, you know, until David Tennant. Yeah. I saw an interview with David Tennant talking about Macbeth in particular. And he said that his job as an actor is to really dig in and learn what all of those things mean so that when he says the words, even if the audience member doesn't intellectually get everything that's being said, they feel it in their hearts and they feel the emotion and the intent and the truth of those words, if not the actual definitions of those words. Yeah. And again, I feel like that's something that's easily understood with the head (laughs) (laughs) and harder to get across to the heart. It is, you know, it is very challenging for an actor to be able to do that. So thank you, everyone, for coming to the David Tennant fan club today. (laughs) I feel like part of the reason I enjoyed Hamlet so much also is because prior to watching it, I listened to podcasts with some scholars talking about the history that is actually in the play itself and also the context in which Shakespeare was writing it and what it was like for the actors to perform it. So I had all of that context going into it. And now I want to do the same with Macbeth. Yeah. If you would like to join me and have your own Shakespeare adventure, I'm putting all of my favorite resources in show notes. We could talk about them here. We'd be here for hours. (laughs) So I will provide the links. You can explore at your leisure. There are David Tennant performances. There's also a comedy, Much Ado About Nothing, if you want to get away from the tragedies for a little bit. There are podcasts, videos, books. And I should also mention, because I'm deep in it now, 
There are rumors online that David Tennant's Macbeth will be released as a film in theaters later this year. Yeah, so we all might get a chance to take a look at it. Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for more on the books we talked about today and links to all of the Shakespeare resources I mentioned. Join me in my madness. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon.